Good morning. We're so glad you're here. My name is Doug, and yes, I am director of student ministries, one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, what a wonderful day to be with you. First off, I do want to mention this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and, uh, and we would be amiss if we didn't recognize what that means. Uh, the many who have given their lives in service to this country, in service to the freedoms that we have, that we are exercising right here, right now, as we worship our God, um, that is something that, that they gave their lives for, and so we want to recognize that right now, that that's what this, this weekend, uh, as we all celebrate, is about, and I hope that you do that with your family, um, especially today and going into tomorrow. Uh, now, as we, we head into the message here, we have been in the book of James, which is really cool. James has a lot of great information and so applicable in so many different ways. Um, in particular, one of the things that you'll notice is that it's, it's something that you could just take and, and put into practice right away. Now, we have, I don't know if you, know, you saw this, but a lot of our greeters this morning were maybe a little smaller than you expected. Maybe uh, they're not as many wrinkles as you might normally see. Uh, and nothing against wrinkles. Now, hey, hey, we're going to get to that later in the day, okay? <laughs> nothing wrong with wrinkles. But the people out there didn't have as many of them. Why? Well, because they're students. The, this is Student Sunday. Lillian mentioned it a little bit. And uh, we, wanna, we do want to also recognize that, that we have students in this church. Praise God for that. We have the next generation here in this church and the next generation after that even. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Uh, they are here. Yes, give them a hand. And they're serving you this morning, uh, and we wanted to do that because we want you to recognize that, yes, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can serve God. Whether you're the youngest or you're the oldest, it doesn't matter. If you have any understanding of who He is and have an understanding of how He loves you, you can share that with somebody else. And that's what our students are doing here this morning, so I encourage you that when you head out and you see some of them, thank them for being here, okay? Thank them for serving. Now, as we jump into James, James chapter 3 um, we're going to be starting in verse 13, and I'll give you a minute to, to turn your Bible to that. And I hope you do bring your Bible, and you, you study along with us in your, own script, in your own Bible, and take notes, even though I know some people don't like writing in books. That's okay. Uh, it's a reference to my good friend, Allie Landymore, who is one of our middle school leaders. Uh, she doesn't like writing in books, but maybe bring a journal. Uh, regardless, you got a little time to get there. So James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Um, but actually, as we talk about this passage, this passage is a little bit referenced in James chapter 1. It's all about wisdom. What do you do with wisdom? How do you apply this to your faith? Uh, how do you make sure that what you're, what you're expressing is actually wisdom and not just my own personal intelligence, uh, me being prideful about it? So James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should, also, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's the preface for this whole thing. James mentions it right at the beginning of his, of his book. So knowing that, if anybody lacks wisdom, they can seek it from God and he will give it to them, okay? Now, the, we all know the Bible has an entire book on wisdom. It's Proverbs, right? And I'm sure some of you have done this where it's, Proverbs is a great book because it has 31 chapters. And so you can take it and for a month, uh, like May, where there's 31 days, you could go from the very first day and go day after day and read one chapter each day. That's not really that hard. Wonderful insight in there. All kinds of different things that it talks about. Some of them are just kind of sayings, pithy little statements that are very true and very applicable. Some of them are stories. Some of them talk about wisdom as a person, somebody that you can seek out and find, and somebody who blesses others. Wisdom is throughout Scripture. It really is. 
But we're going to dive into specifically what it talks about in this chapter. Now, when we look at Proverbs and we look at different scriptures, we understand that there, there are sort of two different characters, especially in Proverbs, that come about. These two characters are, are restated over and over, and they're, they're contrasted against each other. You have the wise person, the fool. The wise person first, and I, I'm illustrating it with Aragorn, son of Arathorn, okay, from the Lord of the Rings. Aragorn was wise. He truly was. And he set up, I don't know if you know this, but Tolkien kind of set him up as the wise person, the one who knew what to do and just not just what to do, but applied it well. Now, here's what scripture, and this is, this is just me pulling out little pieces, bits and pieces from the book of Proverbs as I was studying. The wise person is intelligent. They are fair. They are honorable. They listen to teaching. They're full of righteousness. They are a blessing to their parents, and they will be remembered as a blessing. In contrast, we have the fool, and the fool is recognized in the Lord of the Rings as uh, Mr. Took right here, fool of a Took, uh, and this is uh, Peregrine or Pippin Took. Now, Pippin was genuinely a fool throughout the entire series. Now, he wasn't a bad guy, but he was just stupid. That's all there was to it, okay? <laughs> Here's what Scripture says, and by the way, when I say stupid, I'm not, as a fool, the Bible says that too, okay? And it uses oftentimes the word foolish, which, in case you don't know, means stupid, okay? Here's what it says. They are stupid. They are short-sighted. They are ignorant. They are selfish. They're lazy, wicked, a disgrace to their parents, and whose name will rot in the memory of others. I pulled that straight out of a proverb, okay? That's what a fool is. Now, we all set ourselves up. We all hear this, and we're like, yes, some people are fools, but not me, not me. I'm like Aragorn. I am the wise person. Are you really? We're going to find that out today because this scripture right here in the book of James actually gives us a little bit of a test to see, am I really wise or do I just think that I'm wise? Do I just have maybe some good intelligence? I have good information. If you're like me, you love facts and, and interesting things. You're great at trivia, but does that mean that you're wise? That's what we're going to delve into right here. Uh, so go ahead and, and uh, take your Bible Hopefully, you've opened up to James chapter 3. We're going to read this together. Would you stand with me as we read the, the word? We just do this in honor of God's word, knowing that this is his statement to us. It's not me talking. It is him. Um, so we want to honor that. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in, the, in your hearts... Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You may be seated. All right, so he starts that off with a little bit of a challenge. Um, he's like, you think you're wise? Prove it, okay? And this leads to our very first statement, wisdom is proven through action. He's saying that. He's, he's like, you can't just have wisdom. You actually have to show it. Now, this is actually a little bit of a reflection of some of the other things that we see in the book of James where he talks about faith. Faith, he responds to in a similar way. He says, faith without works it's dead. There's no use to it. There's, it's pointless to have faith but not actually act upon it. And then here he's talking about wisdom. He's like, if you've got wisdom but you don't act upon it, 
then it's really not wisdom at all. Really, it's just pridefulness is really kind of how he gets down to it. So he says, if you're so wise, then prove it. Don't just talk about how smart you are. Now, he begins by defining what wisdom should result in, okay? Um, And in particular, he talks about how it must result in good actions, okay? And so, uh, and in order to truly be wise. Now, we're going to look at this verse right here. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, okay? So if you were to be wise, if you think that you're wise, then there should be some goodness in your life. Now, it doesn't mean like a necessarily a happy life or a prosperous life, like the ideas that we get in our mind, like a, what's a good life? A good life is a, you know, it's a drink out by the pool, you know, and I'm sipping on it, probably has an umbrella. That sounds like a good life to me. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about goodness, okay? A good life, a, a life of good deeds is really what he's getting to here. And then we get down to the second part, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom, Now, humility here is an important word that I want to really focus on, because wisdom without humility is not wisdom. It's just not. And in fact, uh, the term humility right here is translated in multiple different ways. Um, Sometimes it's translated as meekness. Also, it's the same word used in uh, Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit as gentleness. So this term of humility is not just uh, sometimes we get, we get locked in on one concept and we're like, humility, oh yeah, that means just like, they're like weak, right? Or that means that they just are, you know, they kind of let people roll over on them, whatever. That's not really what it's saying. It's talking about gentleness. It's talking about meekness. Now even meekness sometimes we, we take in, in a bad way. We, we think that because it sounds like weakness, it is weakness. Meekness is not weakness. The M is the other way around, okay? So, Meekness, though, I really want to focus in on this because I feel like this actually, this term Jesus uses multiple times, and it really hones in on where, what the, James is getting at in the scripture. And there are two different concepts of meekness here, okay? There is meekness by necessity, and I want to explain that first. Meekness by necessity is like little children, okay? That is meekness as in they can't be anything but gentle. And you, I know you're thinking right now, I have a child, and they're little, and they're not very gentle to me. What are you talking about? Well, they are. Realistically, they are. Now, they in their own minds may not be gentle. They in appearance may not be gentle. But ultimately, if a two-year-old comes up and kicks you in the shin, how bad does it hurt? Really not that much. I mean, it might a little bit. But if, you know, if I came up and kicked you in the shins, it's going to hurt a little bit, okay? That's the difference. The the meekness, they don't have any choice in it. They're small. The, the meekness there really is closer to weakness. It really is, because they have no choice in it. They don't, they don't get to choose. It's, it's a, a small child. That's the idea of meekness by necessity. They have no other option. However, there's the other one, the meekness by choice. The meekness by choice would be like a strong man. And you can compare these directly with each other. Imagine a strong man holding his little daughter. The strong man is meekness by choice. He is gentle. Though he doesn't have to be, his strong arms could destroy, and yet in that moment are protecting, and that's why the small child needs not be afraid, because those arms are there to protect her. That's the meekness that we see here in Scripture. It's not that you have no choice in the matter, you just have to be weak and roll over. No, it's that you are strong, and yet you have control over the situation, and yet you control your own strength, and that's where the wisdom comes in. You may have the intelligence, you may have the knowledge, 
but how do you use it? Do you use it to destroy or do you use it to protect? Do you use it to build up? Do you use it to help? That's where we're getting at. And I really think that this illustration, the concept there, is exemplified best by Jesus. It's exemplified best by our own God, who, though he has the power to destroy, yet has shown love and kindness and gentleness to us and calls us to himself. And that really is why when we stress and when we have anxiety, it's unnecessary because his strong arms protect us. We are meek by necessity in comparison to God, but he is meek by choice and he chooses to care for us. So we look at that meekness. Now, okay, where is this, where is this existing in? In the scripture right here, right? Deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like, okay? So it, we start with that concept of there is meekness in this. Now, then he moves, James moves into this next whole concept here, okay? And this whole concept, he breaks down what wisdom is and is not. And he starts with what it is not. We start with this, wisdom from below. And I love how uh, it, in a lot of translations, it puts this concept of wisdom in like scare quotes right here. Let's, let's read this scripture together. It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And then the next verse here, such wisdom, he's, in other words, it's, it's a little bit ironically stated here, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It is demonic. And so, yeah, I put a little highlight on this on wisdom. Now, know this. There's no such thing as a quote in Greek. Okay, there's no, there's no quote marks. However, it is so blatantly stated that the translators are like, yeah, it, that's what they meant. It's ironically stated here. It's, it's wisdom that's not really wisdom. Come on, come on. That's not really what wisdom looks like. In fact, what it's stating is that impure motives create a false wisdom. But from what? What is this false wisdom coming from? Well, it comes from knowledge, truthfully. A lot of us confuse wisdom and knowledge, especially our world. There are many out there in our world right now today. Never before in history has knowledge been treated as such a valuable commodity. And truthfully, it is, it is good. It is useful, right, if it's used well. However, wisdom, or knowledge that is not used well is not wise. And 1 Corinthians uh, 8, 1 through 3 says this, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So we get this concept of knowledge by itself, it puffs up. Now, interestingly, this is this statement. I know it's weird. It starts with now about food sacrifice to idol. This is where there were Christians that were going around. And I don't know if you know much about sacrificial concepts in the first century and before. Think of it this way. If you wanted to go get just like the best steak in town nowadays, where would you go? You'd probably go to, I don't know, for me it would be Texas Roadhouse. I really like how they cook the steaks. Maybe it's Outback. Maybe it's some other place, right? You've got your place in mind. He's like, I'm going to go to that restaurant because they got the best steaks. You know where you'd go in the first century? You'd go to a temple. Because that, and you'd bring your meat there, right? you take your choices cut of meat and you say, hey, cook this up good for me, okay? And they would. And they would sacrifice it to their God. Now, the early Christians knew that this, a God that is not real is no God at all. So who cares? I'm going to bring it in. I want a good steak. I know that there's no real God that they're sacrificing to. So let's go eat. All right. We're going to go down to the, uh, the temple of Apollos or whatever. And it's fine. It's no big deal. 
we know who the real God is. I don't care. That's not really sacrificed to anybody at all. But others were saying, you know what, though? I, I, I understand that it's not real, but it still is a struggle for me. I, the concept itself is really difficult for me because it feels like it really, in my mind, is hard to separate from this is a false God. We shouldn't eat this food. I shouldn't touch it, right? And so what Paul is talking about to the Corinthians, he's, he's saying, look, you know the truth. You know that this isn't a real God they're sacrificing it to. Yeah, ultimately, you could eat this food, and that's your choice. That's pr- your prerogative. Go for it. No, nobody's stopping you from doing that because, yeah, you know who the, the true God is. A false God is no God at all. However, there are those who struggle, and when they see you doing this, it causes them, it leads them to go against what they believe is absolutely true, what, against their own conscience even, what God maybe has placed upon them and said to them, you are not allowed to do this. And he's saying, look, the knowledge you have, it's puffing you up. You feel superior because you know the truth and they don't, now you get to eat the good steak too. But ultimately, wisdom should lead to love for, your, for those around you in particular, love for fellow Christians. And so this shouldn't be done in front of them. They shouldn't, this should not be done so that they see it and are tempted to, to fall away in some way, to, to go against what God has laid upon their conscience. Even if it's not a direct commandment in Scripture, God leads us in different directions individually. And therefore, the knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It strengthens the church. Now, amassing knowledge, truthfully, can lead to pride and boasting. I know that when I get a really cool information, like really amazing stuff, I'll go to my wife and I'll be like, hey, honey, you want to know something? And she'll be like, sure, tell me. And it's like the millionth time. And like, I found out today, did you know that like, I don't know, random stuff. Did you know that fungus is somewhat intelligent? And she'll be like, yeah, that's great can I finish washing the dishes here? I just have one more chore left to do today and then I'm going to go to bed. And I'm, uh, you know, she's very kind to me. She's very gracious. She will listen. And I feel like all this knowledge is wonderful. Knowledge is great, but it can lead to pride. I know this and you don't. So let me tell you what you don't know. That's what we end up doing. Sometimes I fall into that as well. Now knowledge, Proverbs eighteen twelve says this, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty but humility comes before honor. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Ugh. Humility comes before honor. Knowledge isn't bad, but truthfully, knowledge really by itself is not good either. It's a tool. It's like a shovel. You can do a lot of great things with a shovel. You can dig a hole that you can put a fence post in and build your fence because good fences make good neighbors, right? And you can do all kinds. You can, you can pick up the dog poop and get rid of it. Did you know that you can use a shovel, though, to smash a window? found that out. You can also use a shovel to go and beat people with it. The, the tool itself is not the good or the bad. How you use it is. Knowledge is the same way. Knowledge that is not applied well is not wisdom. It is not good. Wisdom is good, but knowledge by itself is not good in and of itself. It can be used to help others, or it can be used simply to make you look smart. And when it comes to that, that's just pride. And we know that pride comes before destruction. Now, knowledge or truth can also be twisted. When we look at this, this scripture here, um, it talks about this. <clears throat> it says right here at the end, uh, do not boast about or deny the truth. Now, this is really interesting. Uh, 
Why? Because of envy and selfish ambition is why, why this is an issue, right? This is why the knowledge is not actually wisdom, because my selfishness has become the source for why I'm sharing this with you. And also denying the truth or being false to, to the truth, as some, pe- some translations say. I'm going to share with you something interesting. Um, I've got this cool little illustration, a picture here of an airplane. Now, this is a World War II bomber. It's pretty fun. I love World War II history and all the, the stuff that goes along with it. Really cool technology back in the day and, and just how they, they figured stuff out. Now, this is, some, this is an illustration of when they were sending the bombers out, some would come back, right? In fact, I don't know if you know this really interesting stat. I'm just going to share this with you because this is what we're talking about today. I'm going I'm to illustrate something here, okay? Uh, Beginning of World War II, if you were a bomber pilot, if you started at the very beginning of World War II, you had a 2% chance of making it to the end of World War II. That's how little it was. Yes. Yeah. So these, these bombers were going out. Now, they were, they were amazing feats of engineering, but at the same time, they were being destroyed in, in just crazy numbers. So what they did is they analyzed, okay, for every plane that comes back, let's look at where where they're being shot. Let's look at where the damage is actually occurring so that we can know how best to not only repair but also reinforce and strengthen, right? So they look at it and they say, okay, we have mostly here on the wingtips, a little bit in the middle of the body, okay, and on the, on the tail. That's where all of the damage is being done. And some said, then let's reinforce that. Let's strengthen this because that's where all the damage is. We don't want that damage, especially right here in the middle. There are guys in there that are manning guns and things like that. We don't want them to die. We don't want anything to happen to the planes. So let's reinforce these portions. That was wrong. Now that is knowledge. That is information. That is truth in a sense. It is. But it's truth applied improperly because they were missing one little piece of information when they considered it that way. And what they were missing is These were the planes that were coming home. These were not the planes that were crashing. Guess where the damage was on the planes that were crashing? In all the other places, right? And when you really think about it, it's like, no, that's obvious. There's no damage to where the pilot sits. Are they just that bad of aiming? No. Guess what happens when you shoot the pilot? The plane goes down. Guess what happens when you shoot the engines? The plane goes down. Guess what happens when you shoot in this weak portion of the back of the tail? The tail falls off, and then the plane goes down. That was the information, but they applied it incorrectly, right? They, they were false to the truth, as that scripture states it. They twisted the truth. Now, that was, not, that was an innocent twisting of the truth. They didn't understand at that moment, and eventually they figured it out. Eventually, they did start reinforcing the, in, or the engine compartment and around where the pilot sits and all these different parts and said, you know what? Let's not worry about the tail. The, the tail, if it gets shot, they're still coming home. Leave it as is. Let's put a little bit more extra armor where the pilot sits. That seems important. And we can do the same thing accidentally or sometimes intentionally where because, of our, because we don't see things from a broad perspective, from God's perspective, we take the intelligence that we have and we say, guys, look, I know what the answer is. You need to do this and your life will be better. And God's looking at it and saying, you're not, you're not actually looking at the real situation. You're looking at it from your own perspective right here on the ground. You need to look at it more from God's perspective, and especially with the love of God in mind, especially with the other person in mind, instead of just speaking from an earthly perspective that is selfish and that is self-centered. 
Now, James lists off a few specific things, right? And so we're going to look at this verse again. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We're going to break these apart, okay? So earthly. When it talks about earthly, here's, here's kind of what it's saying right here, okay? So when it says earthly, it means that of human nature. The, essentially, it's this concept of rivalry that's going on. And we do this all the time. We sit, pick somebody out and we say, you know what? I don't like them. I'm going to fight against them. I'm going to show how smart I am in comparison to them. We have tons of illustrations of this in the Bible. One of the great ones with the middle schoolers, we've been going through the entire book of Genesis. At one point, one of the major parts is where Jacob and Esau are there. Now, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. They came out one after the other. But know this, Esau came out and Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. Like that's how close it was. And the rivalry never stopped. And they were against each other constantly. Esau was technically the older brother, but Jacob basically swindles him out of his birthright and out of his inheritance, and Jacob literally cuts tail and, and runs after that. He gets the inheritance, he gets the, <laughs> all of the, the blessing, and he's like, you know what? Esau's going to hate me for this. In fact, he might even kill me. I'm going to get out of here. This rivalry that goes between people, that's the concept, right? He's using, Jacob used his knowledge, his information, even I don't know if you know this, really interesting stuff. Jacob dressed up like his brother, so his blind father would think that he was Esau. Like, that's how deep the rivalry goes. He's like, I know this about Esau. And instead of saying, and I'm going to care for him using this knowledge, he said, and I'm going to swindle him out of his birthright. Yeah, baby, let's do this. That's the wisdom that is earthly. It's the wisdom that says, I'm first, me first, gimme, gimme. Okay, let's do this. Now, second one, unspiritual. What is this? Now, ultimately, when we see unspiritual and then we see demonic afterwards, we're like, aren't those contradictory statements here? They're not. The unspiritual really is talking about a short-sightedness. Again, talking about an earthly concept. It's temporary. It says, what can I get here and now today on the earth? Forget the spiritual world. I want the physical. Bring it to me. Let's make this happen. Instead, God says, no, no, don't, don't take that. That's temporary it is not eternal. Focus on that which is eternal. That's why God says to store your treasure in heaven where moth, rust, thieves don't destroy. The, the worldly, the earthly wisdom says, no, 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 gain for yourself as much as you can here. The, the man who, who ma- gains the most toys and dies is the winner, all right? That's how we're going to play it here on earth. God says that's, that's not wise. That doesn't make any sense. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. That earthly, that unspiritual concept leads to death. And finally, the last one, demonic. And I thought this was great because previously where we talked about faith, there was the, the demon faith, right? And even some translations put it as not just demonic, but like of the devil. That's some hard, hard words. Well, this seems pretty obvious but at the same time, I do want to take a look at it. What is the demonic concept? It's that of, I can gain power that is not my own, right? We remember Eve in the garden. The serpent comes, the tempter, Satan himself, as Revelation reveals him to be, and says, hey, see that fruit? You know that fruit? The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? That seems pretty good, doesn't it? Why would God say don't have that? Because he wants to keep this power, this knowledge away from you, and he, you'll become like him. And Eve says, you know what? You're right. And she said, it looks good to eat too. Looks tasty. Let's go for it. She eats some. She gives some to Adam. Adam doesn't reject it at all. And he's like, yeah, 
I like the way you're talking. Let's go for it. And they eat. And this demonic, demonic wisdom is not really wisdom. It's wisdom that says, gain for myself the power, gain for myself the glory that belongs to God. That's the demonic wisdom. Now, we're going to move on to the next section, okay? So there are two types of faith. There's the wisdom from below. Guess where the other wisdom's from? It's from above. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavenly wisdom. It is unearthly. It does not, it's supernatural. And that's the true wisdom. It's not wisdom in scare quotes. It's real wisdom, right? And we look at James 13, 7, or 13, verse 17, 3, verse 17. I cannot say that number correct. Um, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. This is nearly just the fruits of the Spirit, right? And he's saying this is what it will look like. This is what real wisdom looks like. And I want to take these one at a time, okay? We're going we're gonna to move through them real quick. First one, pure. And you might have noticed he says, first of all, pure. In other words, this is kind of the precursor to everything else. And what is this purity? It's talking about purity of motives. It starts with pure motives. If your motives are self-centered and selfish, the wisdom that you share is going to benefit nobody except for yourself. But if, you're, if your motives are focused on others and how they can grow and how they can benefit, then suddenly you're taking the focus off of yourself and you're saying, I can help this person. And that is the way that God thinks. Remember, remember what Jesus himself did. He said, I'm going to put what I have aside, my heavenly uh, realm and, and living in heaven in all this glory, and I'm going to give that up, and I'm going to go and help the people that I love. Now, pure motives don't come naturally. We know they don't. That's why this is wisdom from above. You could look at any toddler. We're going to go back to that little kid, right? They, punch, they kick you in the shins. They do. Little kids, little kids are sinners just like you and I. There, there really is no difference there, and we can see it in its purest form. We have a term for it, terrible twos. Like, we, we have a category of people that are referred to as terrible human beings, and we're like, yeah, it's like their main trait is they're terrible. Now, I personally believe that three is worse than two, because now, not only do they know the word no, but they actually know how to apply it too, and they don't know how to stop. So, that's where we see human nature in its purest form. Some philosophers at times have said, you know, no, 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 humans, they start in a, in a pure, in a clean, in a undefiled, and they learn it from others. Well, you know what? If you put a, a bunch of toddlers in together by themselves, they don't become better. They become worse. And then they attack. And then you run, okay? That's where we, we see the nature of humans. Instead, we need to look to what is the nature of God and the wisdom that comes from above, uh, that's why this is not earthly. It is unearthly wisdom. It is heavenly wisdom. Next one is peace-loving. And this is the opposite of rivalry, right? You can't seek peace and seek a rivalry at the same time. You can't fight with some, You can't punch somebody in the face and be like, love you, brother. <laughs> yeah. No, that doesn't work. They'd be like, yeah, love you right back. Okay. That, it, it makes no sense. Peace-loving. In other words, you are trying to break down that rivalry. Seeks reconciliation. We know this is exemplified in Christ as well. Considerate, as in considering others first. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 is one of the greatest scriptures in, in the Bible. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than your own self. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe Jesus. And again, giving up the glory of heaven, coming down to earth, living as a human being, giving himself 
up to death, even death on a cross, even though he lived a perfect life. This is that considerate nature that God has that we need to have as well. Consider others as better than yourselves. The next one is submissive. Now, another way to, to the meaning of this word also means open to reason. Okay, so again, sort of like humility, sometimes we'll take these words and we say, submissive, oh, that's, that sounds like, that sounds bad. You shouldn't be submissive, right? I have a do- you know, you, you see two dogs come together and the submissive one is the one that rolls over on its belly and doesn't want to get hurt. I had a dog like that, biggest dog you ever saw. Her name was Dolly and she was massive. She was a golden retriever, but she was huge. And she was the most submissive dog. And my, my grandmother had a dog named Hershey, who was a little dog, and uh, was a Cocker Spaniel. But if you know anything about Cocker Spaniels, they don't know what the word submissive means. And she brought her dog over. We're sitting on a little bench, or we had a little fire pit, sitting on this bench together. Her dog comes running out. Dolly comes, tries to hide under us, and literally lifts us up, and we start falling over. Like, this is a huge dog, could literally just, like, step on the other dog and be fine. But because of what we consider as submissive, was terrified out of her boots. Now, that's not the submissiveness of Scripture. The submissiveness of Scripture, rather, is that open to reason. In other words, saying, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. I'm going to seek to learn in every instance. And truthfully, you can learn with every person that you interact with. Now, maybe you're not going to learn a lot, or maybe you're going to learn that, no, I I was actually right about that. (laughs) You know, sometimes that does happen. But at least opening, open to reason, open to hear, and then take it, compare it to Scripture. Is it true? If it's not true, then I can reject it at that point in time. But I never reject somebody outright simply because I know better. That's what this is talking about. Um, Proverbs 17.10 says this, a rebuke goes deeper in a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The idea here is the wise person takes correction. They take a rebuke even from somebody who does know better, and they say, I'm going to apply that. I was wrong. I'm going to adjust my, how I respond now. The fool, though, goes and does the wrong thing, and even though you beat him over the back with a, with a rod, a hundred times they don't learn the lesson that they were wrong. You can think to yourself, am I the wise person? Am I open to reason? Am I teachable? Or am I the fool who just thinks they know better all the time? That's the comparison here. And then the full of mercy and good fruit, just as faith without works is dead, wisdom without works is nothing but useless knowledge. What will wisdom produce? Well, it will produce good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what wisdom from God produces. If you do not see this in your life, there is an indication there that the wisdom that you are sharing, that you are imparting on others is not a wisdom, but rather is just a self-righteous knowledge. It must produce these good fruits. It must come with mercy, which means you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt even though they don't deserve it. Now, we see this. A wise man will reflect the virtues of God himself. And then finally, the last two, impartial and sincere. Sincere. Sorry, I said that weird. Basically, you'll become trustworthy. That's the gist of it. Impartial, meaning you judge rightly between two things, and it's sincere as in, You're not doing it for your own benefit, so there's no ulterior motives. People can trust you in what you say. Does your wisdom come with sincerity, or are you just saying it so you look good? Can people say, yeah, I can hold on to what they said, and and I can trust that they they aren't just trying to, to puff themselves up. They aren't just trying to seem important. 
but rather actually have my best interests in mind. Now we're going to get to, how do I apply this? And this is the last little bit here. We need to know this. Wisdom is learned, but stupidity is contagious. It is. The, uh, the comedian George Carlin talked about, uh, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. And I'm sure you've seen this before. It, like a few people, a few very bold and self-righteous and knowledgeable people start standing up and saying, we need to do this, we need to fight against that. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, that's, that's really not a good thing. And yet other people, they see the boldness and they see the, the forcefulness of their words and they see this person is now taller than everybody else because they're standing on something. I need to follow them. Yes, they have a little bit of truth to that. We're going to go and we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden you have a mob mentality. Wisdom is not that. Wisdom is learned. And not only that, it's taught. We'll get to that in just a little bit as well. But do you, the question for yourself when we talk about the learning aspect, if you are to be wise, you must learn to be wise. So who do you consider to be wise? Who do you seek wisdom from? And also, what do they look like? What do they say? Not look like in appearance, but rather do they produce these good fruits? Do they produce what you would consider heavenly wisdom? Do they produce the the results that show mercy and good fruits? Or is their wisdom self-centered? doesn't mean that everything they're saying is wrong, but what it does mean is if they have an ulterior motive, at some point they're going to lead you astray. So we have to be very careful where we are getting our information from and say, I need to filter this through God, if nothing else. And potentially, I need to just ignore this from now on. It's not useful because it is bad. It is earthly wisdom. It's knowledge that puffs up. Now, the next one is that wisdom is not just being right, it's doing right. It's doing the right thing. Wisdom is not just words, it's actions. You're either the wise person or the fool. The Bible gives no in-between. There's no like the guy who's kind of a little wise and a little fool. You're either one or the other. So you can look at this scripture and say, yes, I fall into the camp of the wise or I fall into the camp of the fool. Which one are you? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you, for some of us, it's a painful thing to look at because we say, I'm more the fool. That's okay. So long as you recognize it and are teachable to become wise. Because even in that moment, you have stopped being the fool just a little bit. Remember, the fool never learns from rebuke. But if you hear the rebuke that says, you're acting like a fool in the way that you are presenting your knowledge and your wisdom, your wisdom if you can learn from that, you are becoming wise. And then the last one is, Wisdom is taught. It's not inherited. And this is a challenge to you. This is where the learning is applied by you, not for you. Because we all have a responsibility to teach wisdom. We have a responsibility to share the heavenly, unearthly wisdom with the next generation. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is hard for me to hear because it used to be that my generation was the next generation. And it's not. (laughs) I'm a millennial. And we're getting old. That's the truth. It is. But it's okay. There are generations now that I can share with, as well as I can share with others that are my generation and even the older generation. Don't be afraid. If you have the wisdom, if you have the truth, you can share it well and you can benefit them. 
Now, first off, the most important one is we have to recognize as parents. And so this is, this is spoken primarily to those who are parents in the room. I know not everybody else is. That's okay. Sit and listen because someday you may be, or maybe you know somebody who is a parent. And you can help them out, okay? But to parents, it says, Scripture tells us to teach the wisdom of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I've commanded to you today shall be on your heart. We all know this, right? But it doesn't stop. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I can't think of another situation you could be in. He's like everywhere. And let me, let me hit all the places in between. When you get up in the morning, when you lie down at bed and everywhere in between, you better be sharing this knowledge, this wisdom with your children. That is your responsibility as parents. It is. And it's a wonderful responsibility because you are given, you're given the truth of God himself to handle and to share. Proverbs 10.1 says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. It's like, you're breaking your mother's heart, right? That's the concept here. Share the wisdom so that they don't break their mother's heart, okay? Here's an encouragement for parents. Know this. It is hard. It's really hard because we are sinful, because we are broken, because we struggle, because we get tired and they have way more energy than we do. I can't tell you how many times I've napped in the last week and I don't know why. It's just ridiculous. I do like sleep, but not that much. Now, how do we handle it when we aren't perfect? Of course, the answer is that it's not earthly wisdom. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God. Again, it goes back to if you, if you need wisdom, go to God. He will help you. I can, I can tell you this. You are doing a good job. You are. Every person that I am speaking to here today, you are doing a good job because you're here, okay? You brought yourself, and hopefully you brought your family here to church with you, and you are allowing them to, to have the wisdom of God imparted upon them. You're sharing with them the worship together with the congregation. They're learning whether from their Sunday school teachers or in here or in the other classes that you go to. It doesn't matter. You have done a good job today. Well done. You're doing it. That's part of it. Now continue on in that, knowing that the, every opportunity that you have, whether it's the right thing that you did or the wrong thing that you did is wisdom that can be imparted upon your child because you can either say, hey, look at what I've done and this was the right thing and I want you to follow me in this or you can say, hey, look what I did. Please don't ever do that, okay? Let's never go there. Dad made a big old mistake. I'm sorry. They can learn forgiveness. They can learn uh, repentance through you whether, you are, whether you're making mistakes or whether you're doing it right but keep in mind that it is your responsibility as the primary disciples of your children. Now, an encouragement to the students, to the children. Some of you have wonderful parents, and I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> but I am going to say this. Let's say your parents are, are not here. You came on your own, and then that's wonderful. I'm glad you did. We, that's a, a big part of the reason why we have youth ministry is because we know that not every parent is a believer. We understand that, and we want to support students who are, whether the, their, their families are the opportunities where they grow or whether, the, you know what, that's not where I grow the most. That's not where, in fact, God isn't even spoken of in my household. We want to encourage them. This moves me into the next spot. You as a congregation as a whole have an opportunity to share with them. 
If you are here, whether you're a parent or not, you have an opportunity to speak forth to the wisdom of God into their lives. Proverbs 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. The gray hair is the splendor of the old. This is where I'm getting to, that painful, yes, I'm not the, I'm not the young generation anymore, and a lot of you are not either. There is Gen Z. In fact, there's Gen Alpha. My kids are Gen Alpha. Did you know that there's a younger generation? I don't even know what they're called yet, but Gen Alpha is pretty much done. There are babies being born today that you don't even know what generation they are, but I hope that you are preparing to teach them the wisdom of God. That is our responsibility. And there is wonderful opportunity in this. Titus 2 talks about this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. First, it talks about older men, and then it'll talk about older women. Okay, and when it says older, it means anybody who's older than somebody else. Okay? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Does that... Does that sound like you? This is a little litmus test again. Does it sound like you? If it does, wonderful. Share that with those who are around you. If it doesn't, work on that, okay? And then learn with those who are younger than you. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, and working when at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Urge younger men, and this is referring back to the older men again, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You are the example to the next generation, whether you like it or not. You're either going to be the example of godly wisdom or the example of earthly wisdom. It's your choice which one you're going to show. But as Christians you are part of the faith of God, then use your responsibility to show that heavenly wisdom. Now, I'm going I'm to share with you, if you are looking for an opportunity to share this heavenly wisdom, there are some wonderful opportunities. It's Student Sunday. I, it would be a miss if I didn't mention it. So we're going to talk about the first one that is really coming up, which is Summer Blast. And I was asked specifically to mention this. Summer Blast. It's coming up June 19th through 22nd. If you want to help, and this is for anybody who is sixth grade and younger, if you want to share the love and the wisdom of God with the, the, the next generation, there are a few better ways to do it than at Summer Blast, and, and it truly is a blast as well. It's a lot of fun. You get to hang out with those kids. You get to teach them about Jesus. You get to do really cool crafts. I know the kids like the crafts, but man, I got distracted whenever I helped out with it because it's just like, this is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah, sorry, bud. Let me help you out with that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mine's working better than yours. <laughs> sorry. No. But no, you can help. You can help them, and you can share that that wisdom that you've been given with God. I'm, just a couple others as well, because as the one who's in charge of the, the, uh, the high school and, and middle school ministries, yes, we have high school and middle school ministries. If you want to be a part of those as well, HSM and MSM as we call them, they are wonderful ministries, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you want to help with any of these, please, there's information in the lobby, and we have an information table. Go talk to them. Find out. Yeah, I, I feel called to, to teach the next generation. That's your opportunity. For those of you who are not of Christ, who do not yet know him, let me end on this. If you want the wisdom of God but don't know it yet, don't even really, you, because you can't have the wisdom of God without God, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Proverbs, I'm going to end on this right here. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this. If you are seeking God, here's, here's what you need to do. 
to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him. He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. God is asking you today to seek him, that he may share his heavenly wisdom with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you do give freely, that we don't have to beg for wisdom, that that it's right there as an opportunity for us. I pray, Lord, that you will help us in the days to come both to seek out that wisdom that is from heaven, not the selfish knowledge that puffs up, but rather the, the wisdom that builds up the wisdom that is shared with others so that we can care for those around us. And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you and so cannot partake in this wisdom yet. I pray that they seek you with all of their hearts today. They come to you, submit themselves to you, and ask you to be the one who is ruler over their lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.